The following is a partial and admittedly quite biased selection of some of the laws related to kings and monarchy in Halakha. 1. A king should be appointed by a court of 70 elders together with a prophet. 2. He must have awe and fear of God. 3. He must have righteous descendants to pass the kingship onto, as the acquisition of the monarchy is conditional upon moral quality. 4. He should cut his hair every day and wear attractive and impressive garments. 5. While most people are expected to bow before the king when they seek an audience with him, it is the king who is expected to rise before the high priests, before students of Torah, before the Sanhedrin, and other sages of Israel. 6. He must be lowly and empty at heart. 7. He must not be haughty and arrogant, but instead gracious and merciful to the small and the great, involving himself in their good and their welfare. It is he who must protect the honor of even the humblest. 8. When he speaks to the people, he must do so gently and with humility. 9. He should bear the nation's difficulties, burdens, complaints, and anger, as a nursing mother carries an infant. 10. He must write a Torah scroll for himself during his reign. When he sits in judgment, it should be with him, and when he dines for dinner, he must have it opposite him at the table. 11. He must not have too many wives. Instead, he can have one, and if he'd like, he can divorce her and marry another. 12. He must not accumulate many horses, only what's needed for the army and no more. He cannot have even one more horse than that which is necessary. 13. He cannot amass silver and gold to keep in his personal treasury to glorify himself or his descendants. He is only allowed to collect monies needed to pay his soldiers, his servants, and his attendants. Any excess gold and silver collected should go to the temple treasury to be held for the public good. 14. He cannot, under any conditions, allow himself to become drunk. 15. He should be involved with Torah study and the needs of the people day and night. It's quite a hefty list, and it is indeed only a part of the much longer list of laws related to kings in the Mishneh Torah, the first compendium of halakha of Jewish law done by Maimonides over a thousand years ago. And today, as we think about the coronation and as we read Parshat Emor, it's worth reflecting on a list like this, because the whole idea of the monarchy is really in question for many people. It's no longer a given that the monarchy naturally deserves to continue to exist, and increasingly many people are questioning its value and its ethics, and I think rightly so. Now, we have our own interesting comparison this week, because, of course, in Parashat Emor, we read about the code of practice of not kings, but priests, the Kohanim. Much like the list that I read above, the Kohanim had a whole list of things that they were required to make sure they did, things that set them apart from the average everyday Israelite. Many of them gave the Kohanim privileges. They were given gifts of food by all the people. They were held in, of course, very high esteem and considered to be sacred and apart and unique and given the privilege, most significantly, of serving in the temple, of having an intimate relationship with God through the act of sacrifice. But the Kohanim had another side as well, which is that their separateness was also implied by their dependence on welfare. The Kohanim couldn't own property, couldn't own land. They couldn't, in fact, do anything for themselves, but became completely dependent on the gifts of the people who came to bring sacrifices. 
So the Torah quite cleverly is giving us a good idea of what it means to set someone aside from the rest of the populace. Whether that's a group of people who serve as priests, whether that's an elite guard, whether that's indeed a monarch, what it means to set someone aside, to be different than other people, to be held to different standards and perhaps follow different rules than other people, is actually not obvious. And it's also quite dangerous. Because if we set someone aside and we only include the privileges and power that come with that significance, we run the risk of them becoming a dictator. We run the risk of them making society in their own image, of exploiting the people who they're meant to serve. The Torah is apparently aware of this, and so the laws of Emor, in great detail, help us to realize that there's another side to the Kohanim, in which they are made dependent, made weak, made people who, in the end, are actually not able to fend for themselves. That is, in some way, a kind of check and balance on the power of the Kohanim. Yes, they're held in high esteem. Yes, they have great power and privilege. But there's lots of things that prevent them from getting carried away with that. The Kohanim, because of their lack of property, can't amass resources for themselves, much as the king is not meant to. The Kohanim, because of their status and their separateness, are held to different standards around marriage and divorce, how they conduct themselves in interpersonal relationships. The Kohanim, like the king, can't become drunk, even though the average person can if they wish. The Kohanim, like the king, is meant to spend their time studying and engaged in spiritual and scriptural concerns, which although it's good for the average person to do so, it's not strictly required. All of these things are similar, not because there's that much similarity between the institutions in ancient Israel of the priesthood and the monarchy, but rather because both of them are places where power concentrates. And where power concentrates, there is the danger that the concentration of power can become extreme, and that it can lead to the kind of tyranny that many in our world have spent the last several hundred years fighting very hard against. I recently read a fascinating book called The Restless Republic about the 11 years, only 11 years, in England's history during which there was not a king or a queen, during which the monarchy was more or less abolished. And although it was a fascinating and chaotic and difficult time, it wasn't what I thought it would be when I started reading it. It wasn't the French revolutionary zeal of universal human rights. It wasn't even necessarily that ideological, nor was it as religious as I had been led to believe. The anger that many people felt towards the king was not towards the idea of monarchy per se, but the way in which the monarchy had been constructed. Many of those who served in the parliament that first sentenced and killed King Charles I, actually intended to bring another king around, intended to have a king still, but wanted to make sure it was a king whose power was checked, whose goals and esteem were balanced with the responsibility they felt to their people. That's actually something that we could probably still learn the lesson of today. That when we hold someone in high esteem, and King Charles, as he becomes king today, is worthy of being held in high esteem by us, we also have to hold them to a high standard. The two go hand in hand. It may be surprising to many, considering that I'm an American by birth, but I think that there is a benefit in having a head of state who's a monarch, a head of state who's separate, distinct, who's not like other people. But the differentness has to be balanced. The power has to be counterweighted. Great power, great responsibility, as Spider-Man knew well. High esteem, high standards. They have to go together. In that spirit, 
wanted to share the words of a prayer that was written by Rabbi Jonathan Wittenberg for today's occasion. And I think that summarizes well what it is that we hope for when we think about the responsibility of the monarch. He said of King Charles and Queen Camilla, May their hearts be open to the many and different needs of all the peoples of these lands. May they continue to support all those who seek to do good for human society and for all life. May they uphold the values of justice, freedom, equality, and democracy according to which this country has been and must be governed. It's not a lot to ask, because when we give privilege, when we give power, we also have to expect responsibility and accountability. The laws of our halakha teach us that. The parashat of Amor teaches us that. And we can experience that through our own knowledge of history, through our own sense of what is right and moral when it comes to having a monarch in our society. We have an opportunity now with the new reign of King Charles III to think about what exactly it means to have a monarch. Not just because we've always had one, because we haven't, there were those 11 years, but because there is benefit to setting someone apart, to having someone in the society be Kodesh. But there's also a burden and responsibility that comes with that. And the two have to be balanced. The two have to be held in check and held in the same breath at the same time. Great power, great responsibility, high esteem, but high standards. Shabbat Shalom. Malachim, she am a